Welcome to the Baxter Bowman Podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's podcast is part of the Hunt Elk in 2020 series, where I walk my friend and new bow hunter, Josh, through what he needs to know for his first over-the-counter public land bow hunt. It's based on everything I learned that made me successful for three out of the first four years I bow hunted elk. I've found that I'm learning just as much as he is from this process, and I hope you do too. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today with Josh. Josh, how's it going? It's going good. I went uh, turkey hunting last weekend in the season and uh, didn't get anything, didn't hear a bird, but went uh, five miles deep this time, backpacking solo. It, it was super fun. Good training hunt. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's really going to serve you well during elk season, man. I think everyone that's been listening to this is like, "Wow, does Josh turkey hunt every weekend?" But five out of six weekends, you are uh, you've got some dedication going. Thanks, man. Yeah, I wanted to get out before it gets too hot. It's it's getting warm these days. It's getting toasty. We're getting close. We're only four four months out from elk season here, so we're getting into the critical zone. Yeah, it makes me nervous. <laughs> I think I'm going to take another hike this weekend with a backpack um up mission peak it's like 2000 feet climb in like two and a half miles so it's steep but good training always a good idea always a good idea well super excited today we've got some cool stuff we're transitioning from the first part of the course for those that are following along um course series whatever you want to call it following along on the website uh planning and strategy now we're going into gearing up so it's all about the gear you need this one i love because i'm definitely a certified gear nut i've been backpacking for like 25 years uh, I am always into the gear, right? My, my day job is in product and marketing. So I love, love how stuff is designed and how it works. Um, so today gear you need, right? What do you need? What do you not need? What can you reuse that you already have and when you should buy it? Surprise, surprise. A lot of guys don't realize that's a pretty big factor. Um, but really the whole goal is to like save a ton of money for folks and the money they are spending, like have them put it in the place that really matters. So this is going to be a really helpful one for you. But you excited for it? Yeah, this is good. And also for people who don't know, yeah, Baxter is like the most in-depth researching kind of product geek nerd expert that I've ever met. I think one time uh, one of our coworkers asked like, what kind of rifle should I get in an email? And you wrote out like an entire page. And then at the end of the email, you were like, oh, also you should get like us. I mean, you also, the scope really matters, but that's a whole separate email. And yeah, I think it was I just like laughed a, so hard. It was like a 3000 word email. It got yeah. away. <laughs> um, I, I love this stuff. It's pretty fun. Um, so yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely take a dive, but I think today we're going to keep it pretty high level because we're covering a lot. Like this whole post is a giant, giant list. Not that we have to do the same thing in the post of the podcast, but really the whole goal is to kind of skim all the little things to say, Hey, what matters, what kind of matters, what really doesn't. And then later on, like during the series, we can dive into like, okay, what's the best boot or what's the best 10 and what makes that and that sort of thing. So yeah, we'll talk about some stuff as it comes up, but we'll really just cover the ground. So guys, you know, as you're listening to this, you're like, okay, yeah, I got that. I got that. I got that. Oh man, I need this. Right. Cool. Yeah. So it'll be a really high level overview. By the end of this episode, you'll have a, like a full picture of what you need, what you don't need and how you should think about buying. Yep. And guys, they'll, they really are concerned about individual things. They can go to the site and look at like individual reviews, which as you said, are like 10 pages long. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> your guys, which are like 30 pages long. And then I have a whole list of all the stuff I use if they really want to go with it. So 
Yeah, and if you don't want to read... Spoiler alert, my number one thing on gear is it's 100% about your individual situation, right? Like everyone comes to and says, what's the best gear for this? And I'm like, well, I can't tell you what the best is unless I know where you're hunting, what weather you're hunting in, your hunting style, your hunting experience, and what's your draw length, all this stuff, right? You got to know everything about someone to give them good suggestions. Right. Cool. Awesome. Let's hop right in. Let's do it. Um, So what do you need? Uh, Maybe a good way to do this is to break it into three categories, right? First is like mandatory. Like this is the stuff that's super critical. Spend your money on it. It's important. Then there's this stuff that's like, you know, it's nice to have, might depend on your situation. And then there's the stuff that's like, you don't need it, right? And a lot of people will tell you, you do. Don't spend money on it. You're wasting your time and money. Um, so we just go down the list, right? Start with, uh, start with them and we can kind of talk about what you've got going on, Josh. Uh, if we got time, a little critique of each thing too. So cool. first one, my number one, whenever guys ask me what's the most important piece of elk hunting gear, it's the boots. It's the good fitting mountain boots. Um, so do you, you have a pair of boots right now, Josh? I do, but they're not waterproof. They're just like normal hiking boots. I think they're Merrill, Merrell. Yeah, Merrill. Yep. Yeah. Pretty mainstream brand. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I won't, man, I could go down a rabbit hole in this one. And this is actually <laughs> like one or two episodes up. So I already have gone down rabbit hole and written this whole guide. But the boots, they're incredibly important just because they make or break your hunt. Right. If you have feet that are you know, blisters, they're hurting. Um, a lot of guys don't realize the amount of support they need. Right. Each foot is so individual. We talked a little bit about this in the, the training one with the Ironman stuff, but man, your foot, knowing your foot, knowing your body is so critical. So if you get out there and you've got feet that are beat up and they're the chain that connects the rest of your body to the ground, if they wreck that chain, you're going to get fatigued and tired and beat just instantly. Yeah. And I I heard like some life advice and they said two good things to invest in is your shoes and your bed because that's where you spend most of your time. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's not sexy. It's not exciting. Guys, you know, they'd rather spend money on a cool bow or something else, but uh, this is, man, if you want to spend money somewhere and I can, I can tell you pretty much right now, the Merrill's probably won't cut it. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> they're not really known for, uh, their support or stiffness, which I think in elk hunting country is really good. Uh, there's really unique needs and we can talk about a few of them real quick for okay. boots. They've got to be super, um, supportive. So that support depends on your foot. We'll get into that later, but when you're hiking around up there, you've got 50 pounds on, 30 pounds, whatever, somewhere, you know, 25 pounds, depending on how good you are at packing. <laughs> um, but you're off camber, which means you're on a slope that's just super steep. You're walking on it sideways. It's twisting your ankle. Right. And over deadfall, you're carrying out a hundred pound elk. You're in a super soft material. General rule of thumb is the softer the ground, the stiffer the boots. There's a lot of things that really lead you to wanting to get a really supportive waterproof boot so okay so supportive waterproof uh does supportive and stiffness do, do they correlate oh man we could totally go down the rabbit hole here we'll <laughs> save that one for okay boot. but yeah. uh stay tuned for that because that one's really gonna really gonna pan well okay um next thing complete bow setup uh man bow arrows broadheads sight release quiver what else tools phone target i mean tons of things and you have most of that right yeah, I have that. I just need to pick out the broadheads and then the foam target so that when I get there, I can just make sure everything's still still uh, working the way it should be. Um, I might upgrade my site because I just got like the cheapest possible site, but I mean, it works. So Yeah, 
Yeah, and that goes into, you know, we'll talk about stuff you can reuse, but I think the single most important thing in an elk hunting site is getting a third axis adjustment. Oh, okay. So for those of you that aren't familiar, third axis is the adjustments uh, that moves towards you like a door. So if you were to open a door, you know, it twists the housing back mm-hmm. and forth. And that's so critical because if you don't have that set up right, as you point up or downhill, the bubble will drift to the left or the right. And so you'll mm-hmm. accidentally correct too much or too little uh, for that situation. The arrow is going to fly off to the left or the right. And I mean, at oh. 40, 60 yards, that can be a foot or two if you don't have it set up. Right. So a site that doesn't have that adjustment, yeah, you know, it's random luck as to whether it's on or not. And that is really important for elk hunting because you're almost always shooting up or downhill. Okay, cool. So I got two items I got to buy so far, boots and a sight. <laughs> yeah, boots and a sight, right. Uh, <laughs> for guys that are rifle hunting, the rifle, right? That's the same as the bow. Uh, backpack, that's another big one. Um, and this one, you know, backpacks are really important, but there's a lot of good companies out there. Uh, it really boils down to your individual needs. Really, the biggest thing about this is it's got to be hunting specific, right? It's got to have some sort of way of letting the pack move off the frame so you can get meat in there. Right. So that way the meat sits like as close to the body as possible when you're packing out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. exactly. Well, that and just like the the support in a lot of these mainstream backpacks, an REI backpack, an Arcteryx one, I've got both, um, you know, Marmot, a lot of these guys, they're designed for, it's like car suspension, right? You need too stiff and it's rough, too little and there's no support. So mm-hmm. they've got to pick the right stiffness and they design those backpacks for the 20 to 40 pound range because that's where the vast majority of back weekend backpackers are going to be. Right. So if you were to put 100 pounds of elk in that thing, it's literally got zero support. Um, so yeah. it's going to just crush it. Not only that, but it's going to get it all bloody and nasty because it's inside the pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it literally won't work. Um, I mean, <laughs> won't work is, is an exaggeration. It'll work, but you'll be miserable. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, and you can use your elk hunting backpack year-round. I do. I mean, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're only half a pound heavier than a lot of the other the other options. So yeah, and it's so those are you know those are kind of core things. If you're going to spend money, the boots put a ton of money in the boots, right? Don't skimp on those. The bow setup, honestly, like you've already. I know you've got what a PSC right now. Yeah, PSC Evolve. PSC Evolve. Yeah, it's um that's an awesome bow. I'm shooting the uh, the carbon stealth evolve cams as well and like that's great right i think a lot of guys want the latest and greatest but if you've got any bow with 325 ibo up um you're really not at a disadvantage like it's gonna do great uh, you know you can really yeah, i love that thing yeah if you're like me and you get tweaky you can try to cut the the razor's edge and i always do but like this is one area i tell guys like if you have a 600 dollars bow or even a used 600 dollars bow you bought for 300 bucks it's gonna do 94 98% of what someone else is shooting with a $1,600 brand new, you know, Hoyt or Matthews or PSE, right? Right. Cool. Like so we got boots, bow, backpack. Yep. And the backpack is worth investing a bit in. I think you just got a QU one, right? Yeah, I got a QU. I think it's the 3,600 liters or cubic, mm-hmm. cubic, what do they cubic call liters. it? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Or cubic centimeters at 3,600. Yeah, yeah. Liters, that's probably about 50. Oh, yeah. Five. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good one. And we can, we'll do a deep dive on packs later too about like the right size. But for you, someone who's got pretty good ultralight gear, mm-hmm. that's a, that'll work, right? You're cool. going during archery season when you don't need to tote a ton of stuff around. Yeah. Because uh, there's different, you know, sizes you need to store different stuff. And that all depends on this, which is like what gear you've got. 
Yeah, and that's the first backpacking backpack I've ever gotten. And gosh, it makes a difference having that a nice frame like that. And then the the hip belt's like really thick and supportive. It makes a world of a difference. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's there's lots of really good options out there. You've got you've got Kuyu, which I think honestly is one of the it's lower quality, lower comfort, um, you know, slightly it's not the lightest, but it's probably mm-hmm. one of the better prices out there, yeah, like gotcha. true dedicated ones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's EXO, which they make fantastic, probably one of the best all around packs out there in terms of weight and durability and strength of just phenomenal stuff. Uh, there's Kafaru, handmade in America, just legendary quality, a little heavier, but man, they're comfortable. Uh, Stone Glacier, really, they cut their teeth on ultralight packs that are still pretty comfortable. Great call as well. Um, there's a few other guys, but those are probably the biggest, the biggest ones when it comes mm-hmm. to like a true lightweight backcountry pack. Cool. So lots of good options there for guys. Uh, synthetic or wool clothing. Clothing is big, right? I think in the same way the backpack changes the game, mm-hmm. cotton kills. You ever heard that before? Yeah. Cotton kills every backpacking. I, every rei class hiking class whatever uh, i did one um like full-on camping course 10 weeks like teaching mm-hmm. how to backpack and stuff they repeated this so many times yeah well what it is is the fibers right this is i could really geek out here but the fibers of cotton there's uh, like if you think about a jawbreaker you know how there's all those different layers mm-hmm. it's basically there's thousands of these little tiny layers and what happens is when that gets wet the water sticks inside those little layers so it's almost oh. impossible for the water to get out of there. Yeah. And so what it's going to do is it's always going to keep you cold. It's always going to keep water on your body and there's nothing to insulate because there's no air in there, right? Mm-hmm. All insulation is, is just air, it's just trapping air that you let, lets your body heat up, right? The heat always right. comes from your body. So something like wool or something like synthetic, they're going to dry, completely dry way quick, uh, quicker because they're hollow or they don't have an inside section mm-hmm. and they're going to trap air inside of them or around them a lot better than cotton. So cotton will literally, once it gets wet, it will never get dry on its own. And it will, man, it will just drop your body temperature day after day. It can literally kill you in a few hours. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have two, one wool base layer, one synthetic base layer, and then I just got a really nice mid layer. Um, that That's what I've got. But what do you prefer, wool or synthetic? Yeah, I go... You know, there's a lot of different thoughts on this one. I actually like synthetics. I find that the uh, the thing about Merino is that it's pretty heavy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it can be real heavy and uh, it's amazing for stink, right? Like I only wear Merino underwear, <laughs> full disclosure, <laughs> right? But like um, and I'm using First Light Merino underwear just because it's, you know, it's great quality stuff. So I'll, I'll wear it there. But when it comes to on the body, I find it gets pretty hot and it's just heavy. And when it does get wet, it takes a lot longer to dry versus synthetic i've noticed that yeah Yeah. it just seems to soak a little bit more it does it really soaks it up uh and so you know still insulates you when it's wet unlike cotton so it's not dangerous but it's that's kind of a pain and i sweat a lot if i'm really hauling butt up 2,000 vertical feet and i just don't want to you know i want to get to the top and have stuff be dry Mm -hmm. and my hunting style too is i'm going in for three to four days i'm coming out so if you're in there for 10 days or you know, somewhere way further back, like maybe Merino, something you want to think about. But mm-hmm. for that style, again, it's personal. Right? Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of synthetics as base layers. Um, they can be pretty good mid-layers. Merino can be, but uh, mostly synthetic stuff at this point in time. Cool. 
Yeah. And then do you want to go into base layer, mid layer, outer, or should we say that for a different podcast? Yeah, yeah, we could talk about that real quick. You know, I think a lot of guys, when they come to this, they're a little confused about like why layering is, is a big deal. And it's, you know, de facto standard in backpacking for a reason is that your level of output and what you're doing varies widely, right? You're either hiking and sweating like crazy. You're kind of moving slowly and not really sweating that much, or you're sitting still. Mm-hmm. For like each hours, hours, right? And each of those different situations needs a completely different type of garment. Because if you're moving actively and you've got a non-breathable garment, you're going to just drip and you're going <laughs> to soak it out, and it's not going to provide you with warmth, right? And the inverse. Yeah, I remember that first weekend turkey hunting when I met yeah. up with you. <laughs> you're wearing jeans, so I was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot my. Oh man, that, that was a nightmare. And also, I hiked up in the dark alone, and I was a little scared, so I kept all my layers on during the hiking. And then when I <laughs> When I got to the top of the mountain and met up with you, I unzipped my outer layer and my down jacket inside and my base layer were completely soaked and I couldn't use them the rest of the weekend, which yep. sucked. Yeah, I got yeah. sick because I was too cold. That's really common. It's, kind of, it's super common. And you know, another thing, I was telling you that, that another good tip for guys is you need to make adjustments before. Right. So before you're yeah. cold or before you're hot. So you mm-hmm. need to take everything off if you know you're going to be hiking. You'll be a little cold, but then all of a sudden you'll warm up, but you won't soak everything that way. Yeah. And then when you, you get you... Fi- finished, you want to do the opposite thing, which is you're, you're too hot, but you need to instantly put on your, your at least your mid-layer so that you're, you're cooling down, but you don't want to go bonk and get like hypothermic. Right. You start freezing because it's almost impossible. It's much harder to generate heat than bleed heat, right? Yeah. It seems like such a careful balance. How many times would you say you peel off or put on the layer throughout one day of elk hunting? Like a oh, dozen, yeah. two dozen times? Uh, probably not that many, but probably 10 or 10 or 20, you know, tons of times. Okay. Yeah, Constantly. So. And I have a lot of like little things too, you know, beanie swap it out for the hat, right? Uh, base layer, mid layer, outer layer. Uh, so I'm kind of constantly, I have zip off. One of my favorite things on the planet are zip off uh, long johns from QU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wear mostly Sitka stuff because I love, you know, as we, as you know, I'm kind of one of the hallmarks of this is I'm independent. I do try stuff from everybody, mm-hmm. but I like different companies for different things. And Kuyu is the only one that makes this zip off long john. And what's so freaking phenomenal about those is you can just drop your pants and zip them on or off. Like if you have to change out other long johns, you have to take oh. off your boots and take off your pants. And that when you're standing out in pine needles is like, not only does it take 10 minutes, <laughs> like just horrific. You get stuff in your socks and uh Yeah, or you're steep or something like that. And, and then also when when it's a pain to do, then you don't want to do, do it, it and then you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also cool. can, what I'll do is I'll get a base layer. I think I use their Peloton fleece ones, like full-on fleece. Mm-hmm. Like a base layer that's so much, otherwise you're going to compromise on the base layer. So I get one that's actually insanely warm because I know the second I'm going to start hiking, I just take it off. Right, right. So it's really, I love that because I can put on, and they're three-fourths zip, so they don't mm-hmm. go down into your boot. They just stop right at the top of your boot too. Oh, okay. That's just perfect. I love those things. But your general in layering, you always want on the top, a, like a base layer that's incredibly light, something that's just literally skin protection from the sun or from whatever's going to scratch you, and it's just insanely breathable, right? Like yeah. that's kind of the foundation of a good layering system. Mm-hmm. Then I'm always a fan of a mid-layer that's pretty breathable. It's something that you can use for a lot of those situations uh, where you're just kind of hiking around. You're not really doing heavy stuff, but you're slowly stalking around. You're cold, but you're also moving a little bit. So you can't you know, wear something that's going to make you sweat. 
the Sitka Kelvin Active that I've got. That's one of my favorite pieces of clothing on earth. That thing is unbelievable. It breathes like crazy. You can be wearing it at 70 and wearing it at like 20. And as long as it's not windy, you're good. So I'm a big nice. fan of that. And I know you just, uh, you picked up a nice Kuyu piece, right? Yeah, I picked up like the Katana Hybrid um, jacket. Doesn't have a hood on it. I was just showing Baxter like on our on our Zoom video, like look at the jacket I got. <laughs> I'm still excited about all the new gear I'm getting. All this stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Uh, there's yeah. lots of good good guys out there that make great stuff. And then the final piece, and this is the one where we'll talk a bit about and stuff you don't need. Uh, but I try to get an outer layer that keeps you really warm when you're sitting still, which is really hard to find, like weight mm-hmm. per per dollar. And I, you, a lot of guys use rain gear. I don't use rain gear. I don't even bring rain gear. Cool. Um, so I actually just use a waterproof down our outer layer. I'm mm-hmm. actually testing one from Kuyu and one from Sitka right now. Um, and I've historically, I've used a synthetic one. That's a little heavier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those, those are phenomenal. Cause then you've got something you put on at night, you put on when you're glassing, you put on when you're still, hunt, you're still hunting or just sitting, you're sitting a wallow and like, that's it. So yeah. And the key to that is you don't want it to be breathable. Right. You want something that cuts the wind, right? Stops stuff from coming in. You can keeps you warm. So that's kind of the high level on clothing. We can do a deeper dive later. I don't think I have one plan for this course, which is sad, but clothing is incredibly complex. Uh, it's a lot about experimenting for what you need. Yeah. We'll get to it one day. Um, quick question. Does it need to be camo, the outer layer one? No. Yeah. That's in the, uh, that's one of the things that I really don't think most guys need. So I, what I do and what I say, right. I wear hundred percent camo <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because why not? And if you've got any sort of advantage, it's great, but I'm always bleeding edge, right. I'm always spending way too much time and money on whatever I can to put it, put a little that, advantage. There. Yeah. That 1%. Yeah. I honestly think 99% of the time, if you're not wearing, if you're wearing solid color pants, you're totally okay. Mm-hmm. The pants, especially like just get a mud or tan or Brown or green pant. Yeah. Um, that's just that's totally fine and then you don't have to spend 200 dollars on a camo pant you can just go get um go get something else and i'm mm-hmm. trying to remember the name of all oh, the pants i love but I'll, I'll get it in a second but yeah you really don't need it i do think camo on the upper body is pretty good yeah um it do cover little things i'm a fan of just rubbing a little dirt on my face i don't really like face paint because it's mm-hmm just nasty but yeah yeah but i'll rub literally just rub dirt on my face and uh or just you know use the face mask piece and the sitka shirts yeah great if you're super close i've killed you know two uh two elk without any face stuff so it's okay but i think that's something guys ignore but yeah i would i would use camo upper body if you can but bottom you know it's totally fine yeah because i was thinking that waterproof down is pretty expensive and it would i would like i don't know maybe if i could buy one that's not camo so i can use it outside of hunting season um but then everything else be camo which is the stuff i'll most be wearing when i'm like probably stocking i don't know if i'll be wearing that waterproof down when i'm like getting close but yeah yeah no i was just curious yeah well oh the prana stretches ions those are the pants i wear those things to work you know like yeah you do i can attest to that (laughs) and people like it looks like almost like a pair of slacks yeah they're freaking phenomenal and they're like 60 bucks you probably find them cheaper on sale yeah i got a pair of those too they're they're awesome yeah. And so I would be a hundred percent confident going hunting in those with a camo top. That'd be oh, nice. Totally fine. Um, but yeah, so sorry, totally talked over your question. What were you saying again? So the outer layer, does that have to be camo? Do you think that water yeah, down? You know, I think that's a good layer to have camo because you will be sitting still like at a wallow a lot of times uh, there. And 
uh, one of the elk I've shot, um, this is actually the only elk I ever shot and didn't recover. He was totally fine. Hit him, glanced one off the brisket, but that's another story. Uh, and he looked, walked up at 25 yards and looked straight at me for like 10 seconds. Your heart's going a million miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just walked off. And Dang. you know, if you're not moving the number one thing with elk hunting, like the number one is just not moving when it comes to mm-hmm. concealment. Like if a guy's moving with camo, he's never like 20 times worse off than if you got solids on and you're not moving. Right. So that's number one. But I do think that in a situation like that, 20 yards away, if you've got a solid outer layer on like a black one, you know? Yeah. Okay. That that being said, rain gear, I tend to get rain gear in solids because you're going to also use it in urban environments. Uh, Okay. And also it's when it's raining, there's lower visibility anyway. Oh, okay. And so it's not that big of a deal. But if you want to get stuff to layer with, like solid colors, one of my go-tos is a, a down vest. Mm-hmm. You know, an Arc'teryx one I absolutely love. You can just throw that underneath the jacket. And that's, you know, if it's black, it doesn't matter because it's under your camo jacket. Right, that's right, right. That's a really good way to you know compromise between buying camo and buying other stuff. Okay, cool. So anything else on clothing we should cover or before we go too oh, deep? man, I could go on for days on that, but I think that's <laughs> probably good. Um, How about socks? Yeah, socks. Always merino socks, people. Oh, oh yeah, because we'll the snow factor, huh? Yeah, and a lot of other reasons. But we'll cover that in the boots one. I think that's a really, that's almost as important as the boot you choose too. But Cool. So I just added layer. outer layer, merino underwear, zip off long johns for Kuryu, and merino socks to my list. Yeah, cool. That's all good stuff. Nice hat your camo hat or something to shade your face because that also if you rub dirt on it that's great but if you've got a shaded face it's also not got that bright sun shining right Uh, right right and for pasty guys like me that's uh that's a problem yeah so we got boots bow backpack clothing yeah and i'll rattle off a few because i know we don't want this to be like two hours and this is supposed to be the skim for guys but Mm -hmm. water purification and storage right i'm a huge fan of uh water filtration sawyers they're really great they're like 20 bucks a bladder don't use bottles if you don't need to bladders are lighter they carry a lot more water um that stuff you're gonna need that what size bladder over a liter at least you know there's really no downside to getting too big because if they're oh yeah if you fill them with two liters and they're three liter it's just gonna be flatter right right it fits i always get a three liter one okay Uh, that also frees you up the ability to camp away from water yeah, yeah, true. So if you're, if you have a two Nalgene's, not only are they heavy, but you only have two liters of water, which isn't that's barely a day, much less mm-hmm. cooking your meal, versus the system I've got. I have two bladders, one for dirty water, one for good water, and I can carry six liters. Nice. So I can go up on a ridge and be there for two days and be glassing elk and dropping on them, with, or you know, getting them when they come back up to bed, which is my favorite time to hunt them. Nice. Uh, we'll talk about that later. This is the problem with this one, Josh, is literally everything. I'm like, <laughs> I want to talk about it for 30 minutes, but. Yeah, especially being you, because each one you could probably go on for not just 30 minutes. You could probably go an hour just on clothing and an hour just on boots because you're yeah. so technical, uh, which is curse. good. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of guys are like, man, why do you even care this much about stuff? <laughs> I mean, yeah, why do you? Up, yeah, we've talked about this a little bit before, but it's like the the gear, the whole purpose of great gear is to get out of the way right? You get to focus on the experience, right? And it's also about like maximizing your success, right? Because you have one week a year if you're the average guy. And like, if you get out there and it's one little piece of gear, that's the difference between you getting an elk and not like, ah, that's horrible, right? And there's so few things you can do 
outside of elk season to make you more successful. So for me, it's like you're making sure that it's something I don't think about. It's not ruining my hunt. It's not in my brain when I'm hunting. And it's just like making sure you've got the absolute uh, best stuff that's going to give you the highest chance, right? Because you never want gear to be the reason you didn't didn't get an elk, right? Right. And for someone like you who's who's very type A and competitive and wants every little advantage you can get, mm-hmm. uh, I hope I'm not overreaching there. But uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. So at, when there's when you look at the whole circle of like what is in my control, definitely gear is in there, and I feel like maybe that's a big reason why you like to just take everything that you have in your control and maximize it. So it gives you that every little edge that, that will add up to, to you being uh, successful versus not. Yeah. And elk hunting, I think we talked, that's a really good point. Like we talked about a little in the first one, but elk hunting is there's so much that's out of your control and that's, what's fun about it. And so like, like you said, the stuff that is in your control, like you're going to feel so bad if that's the thing that stopped (laughs) you from making it. Right. And so it's, yeah, it's definitely that, right? And I, I do want to just make sure that everything I've got is there. And then also, like, we talked a bit about this. This might be heresy, uh, but I honestly think it's part of the fun. I'm, like, hunting for the gear. I'm looking for it. It's making me think about elk hunting. I'm you know, thinking about the place I'm going to be up camping on, and do I need to make sure I've got a really windproof layer for that? And, like, it's kind of fun. to. It keeps me engaged year-round, right? I'm kind of right. constantly playing with stuff. You know, if it's always – if it's about the gear and about the money, like – clearly that's no longer hunting. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it can augment it at times. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's a good little aside though, for guys that are like, these guys just, (laughs) (laughs) you're nuts. Yeah. Um, There's a fine line there, but uh, waterproof maps and compass. Oh man. Huge proponent of this got, you know, you can print out, I'm trying to remember where it is. Just Google like printable waterproof maps. There's companies that'll send you one. They print, you just select the area you want them to print it. It's like 10 bucks, mm-hmm. but man, your GPS can fail. Your inReach can fail. Everything can fail. <laughs> we talked about this in the survival one or the, and uh, knowing how to use a compass, basic orienteering and using a map is just so important. Right. Yeah. And if you've got that and you know how to use it, well, you really don't need a GPS. You don't need an app. You don't need all these expensive, expensive things um, because you've, you've got it covered. Yeah. So always have that um, necessary kill kit. Duh, you need this, you know, uh, like y- you can spend hundreds of dollars on these super ultra light nylon game bags and they're great because they save weight and really you only use them when you kill something. So it's just dead weight the vast majority of the time, mm-hmm. but you can go down to Goodwill and buy some pillowcases and they'll work. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Like anything that's just going to keep bugs and dirt and stuff off it. You do want it to be breathable. Mm-hmm. Cotton, when it isn't saturated, is pretty breathable, so it'll work just fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, but you do need them. You need game bags, without a doubt, to keep stuff clean uh, and keep stuff off of it. Uh, you're going to need a knife, game bags, string and cord, all that kind of stuff. Um, knives are pretty critical, but we'll, we'll have to cover this one another time. But I'm actually not a huge proponent of the removable blade ones. Mm-hmm. I've used those in the past, and you end up changing out four or five different blades and the weight of those blades is almost as much as a fixed blade anyway. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and they don't really work that well. You hit one bone, they dull. It's they're almost sticky sharp. They're really, really good for like caping and fine detail. If you're going to mount a trophy or do taxidermy. But other than that, I'm not a huge proponent, even though I always carry one as backup. Um, but you can literally buy a $4 scalpel handle handle off Amazon and just buy scalpel blades. 
Oh wow! Okay. You're really trying to save money, he'll, you can you can get like an entire night for ten dollars. <laughs> like okay. totally fine. Um, that goes all the way up to like the Benchmade Altitude, which is what I'm carrying. It's like a two hundred dollar fixed blade, right? So there's yeah, a but huge super range. light, unbelievably light. The the S ninety V's a powder steel, vanadium carbides. That stuff just lasts for days. Yeah, uh, I don't have to shape. Don't have to sharpen it once. It's insane. Um, but you'll need that survival gear. No duh. Matches fire starter. I always carry water purification pills too, in case the filter dies. I don't mm-hmm. want to have to walk all the way back. They weigh like half an ounce for ten, so that's yeah, a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really good one for guys. Food, <laughs> <laughs> that right? We're, we're rounding out the mandatory stuff. Um, uh, I think we'll cover some food later, but I'm a huge proponent of just buying stuff from the grocery store. Oh, really? Not the backpacking, yeah. freeze-dried stuff? I, you know, I always carry that, but it's probably 25% of the stuff I eat in a day. If Whoa. That. Because, I mean, all you got to have for something to be fine for backpacking is that it doesn't need to be refrigerated and it mm-hmm. doesn't have to have water in it. Like, mm-hmm. think about that. That's pasta. That's nuts. That's bars. That's chips. That's jerky. That's uh, dried fruit. That's a lot, of, a lot of really, really good things that have a lot more nutrition like very easy to prepare, easy to eat, really light that you can just buy out of a grocery store and they're way cheaper. Right? Okay. Yeah. So we'll have to talk about that and go through like my, my top picks, but you can really, you can go kit yourself out almost exclusively at the grocery store. Huh. Okay. Yeah. That being said, you know, Heather's choice, mountain house, peak to peak. There's a lot of really good ones and I still keep generally use one of those a day. Yeah. And I eat like dinner or something. Yeah. 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 They're a really good way to carry protein super right light, yeah a lot of calories high. in there too and a lot of salt which which you do need um mm-hmm. and i think it'll lift your spirits a bit at the end of the day too they're pretty good i like those meals yeah totally they're and it's warm right yeah warm meals always nice at the end of the day mm-hmm. uh three four more things on the uh mandatory, mandatory bits rangefinder. oh man this is so important you know I, i've uh as josh probably knows i've watched way too many lq2 videos uh, <laughs> I actually have a cool post I've been working on where I, every single one I categorize into were they successful or were they not? And if they weren't, why weren't they? Wow. Yeah. And it's just like, this is one of those things you can do to learn year round. Right. And the vast majority of cases, guys miss an elk by far, bar none is they don't know the range and they just Whoa. pull out it and they shoot it. Cause out past about 30 yards, depending on the speed of your bow, your arrow is dropping at such a rate that like, if you're five yards off it, 30 or you're one yard off at 60, you're going to be two, three feet down, right? Oh, wow. Foot down. Sorry. So that's, that's huge. Like you absolutely need a range finder. I'm, I actually use a hair tie to secure mine. I have a loop around the neck and I have a hair tie on my bino harness mm-hmm. because I want that thing always in the open, readily accessible, same spot every time. Yeah. Because a lot of guys have range finders. They just don't use them. Right. So they'll have it in a the pocket. They'll have it in their pack, they'll have it, you know, inside something that makes noise when they open it. And then the elk walks in and they're like, Oh, I can't get it. And they're just going to shoot. And then they're going to miss. Oh, wow. So having it totally open and accessible, it's waterproof. Anyway, you know, the two things you absolutely have to have in a range finder is waterproof. And it has to have like a red indicator Mm -hmm. or some sort of lit up indicator. Cause if it's dark, once you're the vast majority of elk shots, well, that's a lie. A lot of elk shots are, in the dark or like close to it right yeah so a black dial is just not going to show up right so waterproof red and then also uh what's that adjustment called when you go uphill versus downhill 
Oh yeah, that's a good point. Inclination um, adjustments—they're uh, gonna you—it's gonna sense if you're aiming up or downhill and go shorter, longer. Yeah. What guys don't realize is that a distance up and downhill—it's really confusing. You'd think it'd be opposite, but both up or downhill. Uh, if you're shooting 55 yards, your arrow actually only goes laterally, like straight out from you, like mm-hmm. 40 yards. So you only have 40 yards of gravity. So you have to shoot as if you're at 40 yards, even though it's at 55. Oh, it's because of the gravity. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that works for, yeah. it's the same for both up and downhill. So again, and yeah, that's a good point. That's probably piece number three. You absolutely have to have in a, in a range finder, but most range finders these days are going to have those three things. Cool. Um, so we got range finder and then wind checker. Dude, oh, so yeah. necessary. It's like five mm-hmm. bucks. The best $5 you spend in elk hunting. That's the the number one sense elk have on you is the wind. You mm-hmm. live and die by the wind. So you're having that again. I keep that in the bino harness. So I just pull it out and use it every you know thirty seconds to a minute if I'm walking in on an elk. Wow. Yeah. Really, just want to know. Uh, headlamp lighting. You're gonna need something to illuminate it. Tags, licenses, hunter safety card. Duh. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then basic elk calls. Uh, so. Lots of different options for this. This is another one we probably can't spend too much time on, but if guys are really just trying to, you know, keep it low budget and make it easy, just buy a cow elk call, you know, buy like one you just blow with your mouth, not even a diaphragm Mm -hmm. because bugling a lot of the time isn't always a great thing. Um, It can or it can't be, but you can 70% of the situations you'll be fine with just cow calling. Mm -hmm. So they can just do that. But that's all the stuff I, I view as mandatory. Like you absolutely have to have that that's essential to elk hunt is make or break. Does that make sense? What, yeah. What about tent and then like the whole sleeping system? Yeah. Um, wow. Clearly left that off. Gonna have to go change this. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. That's what yeah, I'm here tent. for. <laughs> yeah. Tent and uh, tent sleep system. That's it. Uh, I'm writing a really, actually I was writing that today. Really, really deep one on, on shelters. The, uh, the high level overview is most guys are going to be best with a, uh, you know, two layer or double wall three season tent which is kind of the standard backpacking one. There's a lot of nuance there. You know, guys will push you to use bivy sacks or tarps or single wall tents or um, even hammocks. And hammocks are crazy. You'd freeze to death. And I'll <laughs> I've, trust me, and I've used hammocks a lot in the summer when it's warm. It's, yeah. you, you die out there with that. Uh, but a lot of that stuff is for really, really advanced backpackers. Mm-hmm. And it also is, are things that you can't, you have to really know the weather. Because if a storm comes in and covers you in eight, 10 inches of snow, which is oh, happening yeah. literally every year I've hunted, but one, wow. uh, you're, if you have a, a shelter that doesn't have a floor a shelter that's exposed on the side, you're, you're toast. You're out of there. Everything's wet. You got to go out. You got to go find a dry cleaner or a laundromat. I mean, mm-hmm. stuff that's just essential. So yeah, you got to have that. So tent and then sleeping pad. Sleeping Sleeping pad for sure. Um, you can get away without that one, but you'll be pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of good inflatable ones out there. You know, three, four inch things that are really light. Um, the key thing with a sleeping pad is the R value, which was standardized in 2020, which is phenomenal because everybody used to just claim whatever they wanted there. But uh, there's now a standard. But the R value is the insulation of the pad because you can have the world's warmest sleeping ba- bag, but if there's zero insulation in your sleeping pad, it's like sleeping in a hammock. There's cold air underneath you. Right. Okay. You're going to freeze. Um, so really important to get a solid R value. I actually use a winter pad year round just because oh, okay. 
I, I want to use one pad. It's more durable. It's warmer. It's great. Yeah. Um, so that's an essential sleeping bags. This is like tents. There's a lot of different approaches. Guys will, some guys that are hardcore, just sleep in clothes. That's crazy. You're probably carrying too many clothes if that's the case. <laughs> um, quilts, a lot of guys, not a lot. Some guys use quilts. This goes in that five to 10% range. Again, I'm really not a proponent of those because uh, they sleep really cold if they're not mm -hmm. sealed well. Um, they're they're a little lighter than sleeping bags, but really the gold standard is a mummy sleeping bag. Yeah. It goes around your head. Uh, but we can talk about that all later. So yeah, I would say sleeping bag, tent, sleeping pad. Going to need those. Cool. Awesome. And making edits. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's all the mandatory stuff. That's like you have to get something. Like one these things. The things you have to get. You cannot go elk hunting without these. Mm-hmm. And then, so this is the other stuff. Then we can transition to the stuff that you, I, I kind of call it rarely needed or things you really don't need unless you know you need it. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, and these are kind of common pitfalls. And then we'll get into the stuff you really don't need. But uh, day pack, man, you do not need a day pack. Oh, okay. Interesting. You really don't want a day pack. Um, I made this mistake the first year I hunted. So I thought, hey, I need a specific one. A day pack is dead weight. It's redundant. You're... Um, using it and then the biggest problem with a day pack so not only is it like a twice the weight but then when you do kill something with the day pack it's not going to have the frame to carry something out right so you've lost a trip you have to go all the way back to get a backpack that can carry the elk out of there um, so not only is it twice the weight it doesn't work for what you need it to do right <laughs> right the way to do it and the way 98 percent of guys that know what they're doing do it is you just use your core backpack the one that you use to backpack in mm -hmm. that has the frame in it and you just take everything else out of it and cinch it down. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. you bought a good one, like one of those names we talked about earlier, it's going to only be, you know, four to six pounds. Um, so that's, that's really light a day pack at best one with zero frame and it's super flimsy is going to be like two pounds anyway, a pound yeah. and a half. So you're really not saving that much money, especially if you're toting that thing around on top of your pack already. Yeah. Yeah. Don't buy day pack. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my first loadout was like 55 pounds because I was carrying an Arc'teryx standard oh. packing pack and a day pack. Um, yeah, couldn't yeah, have done yeah. that more wrong, but there's only one way to learn. So would you put day pack under nice to have or don't need at all? It's rarely needed. Um, okay. This is kind of that middle category because yeah. you know some guys, if you are going to hunt from the car, like yeah, day pack maybe. Um, or you are going to do a spike camp or a drop camp where you're taking all the way out there. But again, I would, I would just say buy a frame pack. Um, I mean, you can, if you know that's your situation and you don't mind coming back for a trip, you already got a packer or whatever it is, it's okay to use a flimsy day pack, but that's a very small percentage of guys, right? Okay. So gotcha. it's not a no-go. It's just like a, only that tiny bit. Yeah. Uh, chargers, battery bank, portable solar panels. Man, like uh, I think everybody's got this thing where they really want to hold on to electronics in the backcountry, but uh, unless you're on a week long trip or whatever, you, you just don't need that stuff, right? Or you're filming or something where you're using a ton of battery. Yeah. You just really don't need it. Um, you know, spare batteries for things. Yes. Important. Like you need those, right? Like mm -hmm. your, your GPS or your headlamp. Uh, so that's, you just don't really need that stuff. The, the important thing about lithium batteries though, like your phone, your iPhone, is that they're typically um, a composition that's not going to do well in cold. They actually mm -hmm. lose charge in cold air. 
Um, so it's important to put that like in your pocket or in the sleeping bag when you're out at night. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I do remember if you leave your phone like outside of your sleeping bag at night, morning it'll just be like dead or like almost dead. So yeah, basically just got to keep it warm, right? Exactly. So yeah, just throw that in your, uh, I always sleep with a mid layer on. That's another good tip for clothing. I always, even when I have a mummy bag, I always, because I know everybody's had this experience. You wake up either too cold or too hot in the middle of the night with a sleeping bag. So what I do is I start, I always wear at least my mid layer uh, jacket and my long underwear or no underwear or whatever. Um, and I'll keep that on and leave the sleeping bag halfway down when I fall asleep. Right, like unless, halfway zipped, right? Yeah, unless it's truly cold. Because then you're only going to wake up once. You flip the sleeping bag over you, and then you're warm through the rest of the night. Yeah. Right? Versus the like, I'm too hot, I'm too cold, I'm too hot, I'm too cold. Right. Uh, so that's, yeah, I just zip my phone into that. That's a really great way to, to do it. Yeah, I think some photographers or videographers, they sleep with like, oh, like a chest full of batteries every Pretty night much. when they do these trips. Yep. Uh, but yeah. Or you can buy, you know, another thing I recommend for guys, I'm 6'1". I bought a 6'6 sleeping bag specifically because you get an extra five inches at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do that for drying out clothing or socks because I'll oh. put them in there to kind of cook them dry overnight. Um, and you can put like warm a warm water bottle in there if you have really yeah. cool toes at night. Um, you can throw batteries in there. It's a really good reason to get it a little bit longer sleeping bag. Yeah, I got the long sleeping bag. I also got the long sleeping pad mm. uh, and the wide sleeping pad too. Yep. So same. yeah, it's super comfy. Yeah, I don't, there's certain things like I'll cut the edges off of maps, but I will oh, wow. gladly, yeah, I'll gladly take in a wide long sleeping pad if yeah. it's going to make me sleep better because sleep is so critical, right? That oh, comfort yeah. is just so important. Um, so it's it's all about what your compromises are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, other stuff that you don't, that's rarely needed, um, extra shoes or Crocs. Oh man. Every time I see guys carrying those, I'm like, what are you doing? Um, that is so much weight. And if you have a pair of boots that you're not comfortable wearing all day long or socks that aren't comfortable wearing all day long, uh, that's a big red flag that you should have spent more money on the boots. Oh, got it. So if they're bringing in Crocs or extra shoes, it probably means that they just didn't get nice enough boots. Totally. And you can, you, you know, you can still hang around camp in your socks. I don't know why guys freak out about that. Like, it's not like stuff. Yeah. It might kind of cling to it. You just brush it dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no big deal. Uh, if you really want to air out your, your feet for a little bit, you know, it's not a bad deal, but shoes are so heavy, right? That's, yeah. that's, and they're bulky. They're super hard. You got to strap on the outside of the pack. So just don't do that. I guys, when you're new to backpacking, you have a hard time with this, but I literally don't bring extra socks. Wait, what? You only bring one pair. I know I wear one pair. Oh, okay. I, the pair I wear is the only pair I leave on my feet for four days. Wait, what? You never, yep. no, never change them once. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, that's what. Oh, that's, that's why great. merino socks are golden. They won't stink as much overnight in your bag on your feet. They're gonna cook dry. Oh, everything about them is totally fine. And you're just yeah. carrying dead weight, extra stuff if you're bringing other socks. I guess I've probably things. never tried merino because man, every time I went backpacking this this last time, I brought like three pairs of socks. But I mean, that is a lot of extra weight. Yep. I should try. I, I've never experienced, but my initial reaction is like, damn, one pair. But yeah. also my feet stink. So everyone's, oh, everyone's feet stink. <laughs> Everyone says that, right? They do it. And then I tell them, okay, take extra socks. And then they're like, well, I never changed, you know, because like mm-hmm. I just left them on all the time. Oh, wow. Why did I bring those? Yeah. So another thing that's rarely needed, right? You can bring extra socks. I think with all these rarely needed, I should say what the situation is where you might want to do it. Yeah. Um, you might want to do it if... Uh, you make a conscious choice to not use Gore-Tex footwear. 
or a waterproof footwear, which we'll talk about in the boots thing. That mm-hmm. again, that's a super small percentage of guys. Don't think it's a great idea for most. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's one. The other is if you're like mule deer hunting or you're doing something where you have to get out of your boots and stock things in your oh, socks. Okay. Because you might tear them, you might step in something like that really does get in there. Yeah. And you want to change them out. But if you're doing that, I'd usually bring a thicker, more durable pair that's separate. Yeah. Um, yeah. But on this same vein, the other things you rarely need extra clothes, man. Like we already talked, and let me define that, right? Because I bring, I usually have two jackets. Um, and that's it. Like if it's warm and I'm making a lot of these decisions based on the weather. Right. And that's another good thing to know again, with getting back to your individual situation. If you've got an inreach where, you know, the weather every day, like a lot of guys, like even shelters, I will, I will go camp without a shelter. I won't even take a tent. If I know that there's going to be zero chance of rain and it's like 80 degrees every day. Right. 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 Cause that's okay. literally, I just saved three pounds. Like I, I can just yeah. sleep outside on a pad directly on the ground. Uh, yeah, it's a little nerve wracking the first few times you do it, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but you can kind of put some sticks around yourself and you know, if the bear comes, I've got a handgun, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, so same thing goes with clothes. I'm making a lot of real time decisions. So I'm not talking about, you know, if it's cold, I'm going in with two jackets and a beanie and the base layer, the zip off base layer we talked about in addition to my pants. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I'm talking about is like a second shirt or another pair of underwear or a backup set of pants in case I tear mine. Like those are, oh man, those are such a waste of money and space. Yeah. Um, some and people wait. might be like, wait, what? You wear one pair of underwear and one pair of socks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> uh, and let me top that off with something even better. I sleep in the same tent as my wife every night. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. she doesn't complain. She does the same. Um, it's, if you have merino stuff and you're only doing these three to four day trips, which again, we've talked about a lot of the reasons in the other, other podcasts as to why that's the best idea mm-hmm. in terms of finding elk, moving if they're not there, saving a lot of weight, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, you really don't need to change stuff out before four or five days. A merino won't stink that bad. I mean, trust me, it's still going to stink, but it's not like, oh, something died in here. Like a yeah. sock so, or underwear can be. How long would one pair of underwear, one pair of socks last, do you think, before you would change them? I mean, I've done five or six days and been fine. Yeah. So I, don't, like, I really don't know. Oh, interesting. Do you ever rinse them out in the stream, like just squeeze it out or something and put them back on? Or I've done that with shirts. You know, another really good tip, my, the single guys are like, what's your favorite piece of elk gear? And I'm like, wet wipes. <laughs> <laughs> because if you take wet wipes every night, and this is another way to keep this stuff good is... Um, same system. I take them, I wipe my face and my neck, which is awesome because then you're not grinding crusty dirt and salt into your pillow every night. Uh So wipe that. Then I do my armpits, get that stink out of there. Then I do anything else I really want to do. Sometimes the feet. Yeah. And then I'll do the crotch and the butt. Mm -hmm. And so you, you know, let's get real graphic here for a second. Not every time (laughs) you go number two, everything's totally great. Yeah. And you're also sweating a lot. So like, the ability to be completely and utterly reset. That's basically a shower. Right, right, right. Like So just shower. one time a day, I use one wet wipe. I get all that stuff. It's done. I'm sleeping in my sleeping bag. I'm not getting it greasy, grimy, dirty, nasty. I'm keeping my clothing from getting super gnarly. But even before I did that, uh, Marino, you're fine. 
Okay, cool. I think now that you've explained that, we've retained and kept some of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the point which like this is getting weird. Yeah, they were uh, like uh, when they were like one underwear. Now you're like wet wipes. Okay, yeah. I, yeah I okay, all right. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other the other thing, wet wipes come in handy for. Trust me, I could be wet wipe salesman. That's uh, <laughs> the other thing they come in handy for, man. Is you butcher an elk, and if you're not near a stream or something, that blood gets everywhere. Uh, I wear gloves for that too, but still get on your clothing and on your all up and down your arms Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that whatever it's going to dry and come off but if you've got a wet wipe to just get that um and then finally the biggest one for me too is contaminating meat so often you'll be cutting with your one knife because why bring more than one knife yeah and you by accident cut into the guts or some of the gut stuff leaked out onto meat and you're trying to cut around it and all of a sudden your knife has now got this stuff and what guys don't realize is even that tiny little bit of bacteria on the meat will lead to really, really fast decay or stink or right. make it go Especially bad. Days. So, so if I ever get stuff on the knife, I'm wiping it clean with the wet wipe yeah. before I start cutting the meat again, right? Yeah. Um, and okay, I generally so. like to do that after I cut the skin off. But we'll, again, we'll cover that in the butchering section. Yeah. So would wet wipes be under nice to have or for you, would, would it be mandatory? Well, for me, it's mandatory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're nice to have. Like, you can be totally fine without them. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah. Yeah, they're, it's like a hot tip. Uh, keep on trucking in the things that are rarely needed, a hatchet or a bone saw. So many guys are like, oh, to butcher an elk. We got to do this. We'll cover it in detail with the butchering section later on. But you can butcher an entire elk with a knife. You can cut off the legs just by cutting through the joints. You can cut off the head just by cutting through the joints. You can do an entire elk with just a scalpel. No problem. Um, And if you are going to skull plate a bull, you know, which is just cutting out the piece of bone between the antlers, not taking out the full skull. Yeah. You just go pick up your hatchet or saw in the car. Oh, I okay. carry that two pound thing around. I'm <laughs> like, just get it. You're going to take multiple trips anyway. Go back to the car, drop off a load, pick it up, come back in, cut the antlers off. Yeah. Wait. So if you want to do a Euro mount, do you need a hatchet or a saw? Uh, you will. Yeah. I mean, you can also just cut. It depends if you're going to pay someone to do it. But if, yeah. if you are, you can just cut the head off at the top vertebrae mm-hmm. and then cut the jaw off and then just carry it out like that. Give it to the guy and they'll, they'll do it. Okay, cool. You don't have to. So again, you don't really need the hatch or the bone saw. It's just a nice to have. Yeah. Um, that's something to think about. Personal def- defense gear. This is a really personal one. That's why I put rarely needed. Like I know so many guys that have been in the backcountry 20, 30 years, never had a problem. They're hiking around the night. They have a trad bow even. They're fine. This is 100% up to you. Me personally, I've got my wife with me. We're in an area we've seen a lot of wolves. Um, I've just seen a lot of weird things and honestly, it's the two-legged predators I'm most worried about. (laughs) (laughs) It's the, it's other humans. Yeah. Um, sad, but true. I've had some weird ones two years ago. We had a guy come up to our trailhead and just start ripping off a nine millimeter. Wait, what? Yeah. I have no clue why or how. Um, so first thing I'm doing is bailing out the car and have the handgun in hand. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Some random guy just came up, got his nine millimeter pistol and just starts shooting it into the air. Yep. Something. Middle what of the night, the two or three in the morning. I think he oh was rip, you know, rip roaring drunk down at his RV down in the valley and got in his ATV and ripped up there and just decided his target practice. None of them, were, <laughs> none of them were in my general direction, or there would have been ones coming back from my general direction. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was definitely a scary moment. Yeah, what the hell? That's I know. And so I don't. I always carry one. Uh, guys, totally. It's re- I put rarely needed because it is rarely needed, right? Yeah. But when right. you need it, you will need it. <laughs> Uh, it's like a fire extinguisher, right? Um, so it's up to guys. 
air canister gun. There's a big argument there. A lot of guys are using marine flares these days. I could go on for days on this, um, but that's personal. Yeah. So should I get a pistol? You know, if you want one. <laughs> yeah. I think they're I generally last night. Actually, I bought it like a uh, or I was looking at pistols at a at a shop like. And it was, it, it was like in Chinatown. <laughs> it was like a <laughs> randomest dream. But okay. Oh man. It was I'll meant to be. That. I won't tell the California authorities because they're already probably listening in here. <laughs> uh, they're, they're a little tight on that one. Uh, other things that are kind of rarely needed, gators. A lot of guys get gators. They're super expensive. They're heavy. They're going to make your feet sweat. Um, you really don't need them in elk season because the snow is never going to be deep enough for them. The stuff like the undergrowth in these areas is not really thick. So it's not like it's going to get a ton of moisture on your pants in the morning or the evening. Um, they're just not really necessary. They are when they are necessary is like late season rifle stuff. Um, if you're going to be waiting creeks, if you get a really good pair of fitted gators, they can actually make your entire lower leg, oh, excuse me, waterproof. So you can oh, wow. like rip through the Creek really quickly and they won't do anything. So you have to take off your boots. It's yeah. a great situation. And then places with really, really moist environments and tons of undergrowth new zealand like when i was in new zealand i would have paid you in gold for gators like they're yeah. so necessary but elk hunting oh you really don't need them oh interesting yeah. i almost bought gators actually this last weekend because like the guys do yeah yeah because i hate the like you know the spiky prickly things that get just stuck in your socks and it just get yep. poking at you like yeah you, if you really hate that would would you recommend getting gators um, you could get like a lightweight gator. Yeah. There's versions that aren't waterproof that are super short, but I honestly, if you've got good hunting pants, you probably weren't wearing oh, okay. great gear. If you've got good hunting pants and a moderately high boot over ankle boot, um, uh, it's higher than the Merrell's. You're not going to have that problem. That's my problem. The boots are too short. Yep. And you're also not going to be in California. Like up there, there's no stickers. There's no, yeah. You okay. Know, like you don't have to worry about that. So cool. Yeah. A lot of guys want to buy those. Don't do it. I've had them for five years of elk hunting and never once used them um, but i mean i own them for other stuff right yeah uh spotting scope oh this is a this one i cannot feel more strongly about this spotting scope tripod or a phone adapter um rarely needed right you might want them but you do not need a spotting scope for elk um you just don't you're never elk are huge they're really light they're easy to see and unless you're checking the size of the rack, which is going to be someone who's super advanced and is like, I'm trophy hunting here, which if you're doing that over the counter your first few times, it's, I, I don't know. That's <laughs> you. Um, you just don't need it. And that is so heavy and so expensive. Oh yeah. The glass, you're just carrying a bunch of glass basically. Like yeah. Thick glass. You, the thing that I will say, I do carry a tripod a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because your 8x and I, I also only use 8x binoculars because I'm a big believer in the field of view being more important than like being able to get slightly bigger magnification and you get mm-hmm. better light through them. A lot of other reasons we won't go down that rabbit hole. But with 8x binoculars, I can spot elk at three, four miles away with a tripod. Guys are going to call BS on that. They're going to be like, I don't believe it, but I've literally measured it. It is. Because the thing that really matters is whether there's shakiness or movement. And when you have something on a binocular, you literally aren't even touching, or sorry, on a tripod, you're not even touching the binoculars with your eyes. They are dead still. Yeah. So if you want to double your range, triple, quadruple your range, a really lightweight tripod um, can be a good way to go. Gotcha. And I think binoculars is one thing we left out of mandatory, unless, would Mm. you say 
It's nice to have. It's probably uh, mandatory, huh? Yeah, it's mandatory. Um, clearly, I need to add some stuff to this post here, right? <laughs> but uh, I think binodes are pretty important. You could probably put them in the the rarely need, like not really needed, the like nice to have state because a lot of the bow hunting stuff, it's going to be really deep dark, right? It just depends on the terrain you're in, I guess is the yeah. right answer. But I gotcha. If you've got the money for it, I would always recommend it to someone, but like you can't yeah. get away without them. Gotcha. Okay. So it's maybe between mandatory and nice to have. Yeah. But I'm, I've used them a ton. I, they're borderline mandatory in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Do not just do not get the spotting scope unless you, you already have one or you're, I don't know, I guess if you're trophy hunting or you're, you're somewhere where it's insanely open country and you can see all the tops of the mountains, you want to know which one to go to. Yeah. It's, I just can't okay. think really many situations where a spotting scope is necessary. Yeah. It's a good point. You said about the tripod. It basically can like double. It sounds like it can double or triple your effective range because it gets rid of shakiness uh, completely. And it's not even that it doubles or triples your effective range. It's that the way your brain senses. So there's rods and cones, right? And in the center of your vision, you're really, really good at resolving detail on the outside. Your the rods and cones are optimized for catching movement. Okay. And the way your brain sees things is it catch the vast majority of the time. Same with the elk is it catches movement. So if your binocular, even if you can't see it, is ever so minutely moving. Oh, your motion on motion. So you right, can't tell right, what's right. moving, what's you versus you moving. And if you've got it on a tripod, it's sitting there completely and utterly still. So any even the smallest ear flicker, the smallest little tiny thing, movement, boom, your eyes on it. It's picking it up, which is also why I'm a huge fan of 8X binoculars for the f- giant field of view, just so you mm-hmm. can see a ton of stuff at once because that's how you pick things up. Yeah. Um, especially elk hunting where you are you can be real close quarters with things, right? Yeah, and I remember you telling me it's, it's all about spotting them and locating them, not about examining them. Exactly. Yes, you're just finding them. Um, you know, a lot of guys, they want to buy one pair of binoculars for everything. I still think 8X works fine, uh, but we can have a whole other deep dive in that. Uh, yeah. If, yeah, if you're doing mule deer, you're looking for bedded things. Yeah, you're going to need a 15 you know, or a 12 as your base pair and a spotting scope. But elk hunting, just a good pair of 8X, maybe 10X binos, you're fine. Cool. Uh, so that's it. So oof, we're going long, but I think this is all super valuable stuff. So we'll just keep keep on trucking here. Um, what about the gear? So that's kind of everything I say you don't, like just do not buy it. Um, mm-hmm. so we've got those three categories, what you need what's rarely needed and what you really don't want. Um, so now the question I get from a ton of guys is like, Hey, I've already got this thing. Can I use it for elk hunting? Right? Yeah. So now we're in the, what can I reuse? Section? Yeah. And this is okay. a great way to save money, right? Reuse something that's, that's out there. And my, my basic answer to that is like the vast majority of it, vast majority of stuff will work. And there's only two categories of things. One is stuff that like definitely will not work for elk hunting. Mm-hmm. And then there's stuff that probably won't work for elk hunting. Okay. So we can hit both of those in stuff that definitely will not work for elk hunting. There's only two things, game bags and bow sights. <laughs> so the game bags, if you've got deer size game bags, elk is not going to fit in that. Oh. <laughs> I see. Well, that's a lie. You could chop it up into thousands of little pieces, but um, that is a waste of your time. Ruins the meat. Everything about it's bad. Yeah. yeah. You need to get elk specific game bags. Uh, another thing, tip for that for guys is there's a very different game bag size needed for boning out or not boning out an elk oh okay found that out the hard way when i was solo the first time um, even though i knew i was going to go get a packer i had to bone it out because my game bags weren't big enough oh wow which is an incredible amount of effort and time and it also is much worse for the meat 
mm-hmm. for aging it and stuff. They have to butcher it instantly when you bring it in that way versus if it's on the bone, they can leave it for a while. Yeah. Which is much better taste. So you know, make sure you get, uh, I typically carry quarter bags all the time because I may or may not bone it out and it's no big deal to kind of wrap the bag around a little bit more. Okay. It's worth the extra weight in my mind. So that's something that won't work if you're trying to transfer your deer, deer gear over. Same with the bow sights and the third axis. I think we already talked about that. Like you really have to have that third axis adjustment. Um, so if you got a bow sight on there, that's like good, but it doesn't have that. I, I would replace that every time. Yeah. Um, just cause you're going to miss a shot on an elk for no reason other than you don't have the right sight, which is, Oh man. Yeah. That would suck. Yeah, or even worse. You, you have a perfect aim right in the lungs and it zips two feet to the right and goes right through the guts. Oh, that would suck you even more. Ruined your trip and killed something. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So that's those are two things you just definitely can't reuse. Um, stuff that you probably want to replace. Three things, boots, arrows, and broadheads. Um, the boots, we talked about this. Stiffer boot for heavier loads and off-camber stuff. Uh, again, that's personal to your foot. You might have a super strong foot. My wife does. It's incredible. Like she can literally wear a borderline running shoe up there and she's totally fine. <laughs> um, although she can't even do that because the shoe is so flimsy. It doesn't really dig into the side of the mountain. So even she uses a stiffer boot just to get good grip. Yeah. Um, but some guys can get away with it. I would just strongly suggest we'll, we'll talk about boots here on the next episode. That'll be a whole hour in and of itself. Uh, arrows. So again, this is another deep dive we'll be doing, but arrows weight is just paramount for elk. Um, I've learned this the hard way. I've talked to a ton of guys who learned this the hard way. Every single person I've met that I respect uh, for killing tons and tons of elk year in, year out, they're shooting really heavy arrows. Um, the reason being is what really matters is penetration. The speed mm-hmm. doesn't do anything for you. It's again, it might get there a heartbeat quicker, but elk aren't like whitetail. They don't jump the string. Um, and your bow is going to be way louder. It's going to be less efficient. A stiff arrow makes your bow more efficient, makes it quieter, penetrates far better, is stronger. Uh, there's just so many upsides. Yeah. So you're saying if you have arrows from some other kind of archery hunting, you should get stiffer or, or heavier arrows for elk. Yeah. And we're covering okay. that next one. So I really won't hit it, but my, okay. my general rule of thumb is like seven grains per pound of draw weight. So if you are got a 60 pound bow, multiply that by seven and that would be the lightest arrow I'd go with. Yeah, um, seven to 10 is kind of the sweet spot there, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, Cause a lot of guys are like, Oh, you should shoot a 420 grain arrow. And it's like, well, are you shooting a 30 inch draw with 75 pounds or are you shooting a 50 pound draw with 20? Mm, okay. So, so it's more nuanced, more nuanced. Uh, we'll cover that broadheads. This one again, um, this is a really personal one. Guys get really up in arms about this, but let me just put it this way for brevity. I've killed plenty of elk with a narrow by deer standards, one and an eighth or one and a 16th inch wide two blade broadhead. That's all you need. And, uh, you're going to get so much more penetration, uh, which is everything and all kind of getting it to go all the way through and go out both sides. You get a good blood trail and they, they die quicker. Um, and these are really heavy, thick animals. So the accuracy and the penetration you get from a smaller broadhead is definitely the way to go uh, in my opinion. And it's my opinion. Everybody's got their own. Um, but, uh, guys that bring, you want to bring a mechanical, or a one and a half inch cut broadhead, those are just really not great choices for elk unless 
again, your personal situation, you're shooting like 80 pounds at 30 inches with some crazy arrow, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, standard, standard hunter shooting 65 pounds, 28 inch draw, like even, even they will get off way better with a, a super, you know, skinnier broadhead and that will kill elk every time if you put it in the right place. Yeah. And it sounds like if you got the right arrow, like the shaft, the heavy enough shaft with that, uh, narrow broadhead, it'll, it'll do the job. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll give a little story here just cause everybody's people always get excited about this stuff, but I, you know, I shot my first elk with a expandable and, um, I got lucky and it nicked, it went through one lung and then nicked an artery near the spine. It kind of was a ranging quartering two shot, but it, the arrow only went in like eight inches. Oh, uh, wow. And it was so apparent to me that, oh man, these things do not penetrate. Uh, it can be a real problem. So you for all the guys that say have a good experience just listen to guys that have used mechanicals or wide broadheads in the past and you'll you'll hear some pretty big horror stories dang yeah um okay well that's breather time that's pretty much all the advice on the elk gear like the high level Mm -hmm. advice the only thing left is like when to buy it um so you got you got a list by now, right? You got a pretty good list of things you're looking to get. Yeah, I do have a pretty good list. I got like I was just thinking, like, man, I gotta I gotta save some money for this stuff. I've got probably ten to twelve things I need to buy. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, so you've got I mean you got a good amount of things. A lot of guys do like it. It takes a lot to go elk hunting, and the good news is once you get it, like you're good. I'm an advocate of buy once, cry once, because mm-hmm. <laughs> the only thing more expensive. Than buying the most, you know, the the product you actually want or need, is buying the cheap product and then having to buy the expensive product. <laughs> that makes yeah. Sense. <laughs> so there's always a balance there, but uh, you know, I think skimp in areas that we we talked about. There's areas you can skimp and aren't as important. Skimp there and then put the money where it really matters: the boots, the pack, the you know, the uh, the bow, no, not the bow, but like the the stuff that matters, right? Yeah. Uh, we we covered all that. Um, but one thing guys really don't know, and this is the last bit we'll cover here on gear, is that elk gear, it's a niche sport, right? There's not a ton of guys doing this, and everyone does elk hunting the exact same time of the year. Stuff sells out. And not only does it sell out, but there's a lot of things you need to do. Like with arrows, you're going to need to tune them. And with you know, boots, you're going to need to be able to test them, right? Like there's things you really need to do for a month or two uh, before you go elk hunting. So you got to buy stuff ahead of time or you're going to get into bad situations. Um, so breaking this down like four to six months ahead, things like April or earlier. So Josh, I hope you already got this, but your bow. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Got that checked. Huge, huge advocate of getting that set up because you get used to it. You're familiar with it. You're getting that error trajectory ingrained in your head. That's great. All that sort of stuff. Right. The other thing is that if you do order one, they can often like I'm a lefty. I've ordered one in February and it didn't show up till August 7th. Whoa. So you can really get stuck in a hard place if you order a bow new and it takes them a month or two, three to get it. Cause a lot of guys do order them, you know, kind of this spring summer timeframe because they know that's coming up and you really don't want to be getting a new bow come, you know, July or August. Cause you're not going to have much time to tune it. Yeah. I got mine on a great time, black Friday, like, or not that day, but like I got mine in November. So it was already after elk season. It was like heavily discounted. Yeah. Um, so great way to buy bows. They, they've kind of plateaued, you know, they chase speed for a long time and they've kind of hit the upper limits of speed. Uh, literally by physics, you can, there's like computational physics that limit the amount of speed a human can shoot, uh, arrow at. 
So they'll never be able to break certain barriers. Mm-hmm. They've kind of all topped out on speed. And now all they're really doing is getting quieter and uh, more efficient. So they're easier to pull. So yeah. how about weight? Have they topped out on weight? No, they can get, well, we could talk about that another time, but yeah, basically all I'm trying to say is that the difference in a bow from one year to the next, this is kind of heresy again, isn't that much now. Mm-hmm. They've kind of plateaued a little bit. So buying an old version or a used one is a great deal, put a new string yeah. on it. Um, be great for so, your head like you i'm presenting i'm accidentally presenting like oh here's another little rabbit hole here's yeah. another one to go here's down another one. Here's, here's another, another one, one. <laughs> yeah uh, all right we'll we'll keep tracking yeah things you got to get three months ahead and these aren't like hard rules these are just my suggestions right mm-hmm. but end of may which is coming up real soon uh packs so these always do go out of stock in the summer if you're talking like august uh or August, July, they're definitely out of stock. July, June is when they start to sell out. So that's why I say May 31st. Yeah. The guys like XO are, they're great, but they might go into like a six to eight week lead time. <laughs> and guess what? Eight weeks is two months. And uh, if you order that July, you're not getting it before your hunt. So yeah. got to buy the pack. Got to do that. Uh, boots, buy them early because you really, really want to have the time to break them in or if they yeah. aren't working for your foot really you understand that quick and still have the time to sell them and get another pair and try that pair out right okay but so i got really good soon and also like the training you're doing we talked about workout specific or i think we forgot to and we said we should mm-hmm. <laughs> but workout specific training the closer you get going backpacking and that sort of thing mm-hmm. you've you definitely used the boots you're going to use in elk season because uh real good Example of that is when we went turkey hunting. I've never had a blister from my, I use this La Sportiva Trango Cubes, really stiff boots. Never once had a blister in those elk season. They're, they're magic for my feet. But I actually got huge blisters on them when we went turkey hunting. So we we're just hiking on dead hard pack, which for a super yeah. rigid sole like that is just brutal. Um, I don't know why I took those. I just wasn't thinking, but got to test those out. Clothing, again, clothing runs out. QU is especially guilty of this, but Sika is too, First Light is as well. They basically, the way this all works, they do one run of clothing, one or two runs of clothing a year. Mm-hmm. They basically say, hey, I'm the buyer, a merchandiser. I'm going to buy 10,000 uh, Traverse t-shirts and that's it. When that runs out, they're waiting for the 2021 model year. So if you're going to know you're going to buy stuff, you're not going to find any discounts in the summer anyway, because everyone knows you need it. So at this point, you need to buy it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's one. And then finally, two months ahead, basically the end of June, uh, arrows, right? I, I honestly, the earlier you build those, the better, just because you can tune your bow in concert with it. You get used to, uh, you get used to the way it arcs, the trajectory of the weight of that arrow, mm-hmm. but uh, at least two months ahead. So you've got time to build them and tune them. Uh, really important to just get used to them. And also you'll, you shoot a dozen, you'll figure out, you know, you might be able to knock tune one into your group, but there might be one or two arrows that just don't tune. Um, and you won't know that unless you shoot them for a while. Right. If you do, then you can remove two arrows that might've helped you miss an elk. <laughs> yeah. So important stuff. All right. And then the last thing, food. Uh, so if you are buying that backpacking food, guess what? You're also competing with backpackers. Surprise, surprise. Oh. Uh, and backpackers all go backpacking in may june july so you're the stuff you're trying to get might be completely sold out and that's not as much like mountain house and some of the bigger brands that you know rei or box stores are going to carry but things like heather's choice off-grid food co peak to peak guys that are like a little bit smaller and probably higher quality mm-hmm. they're not only are hunters already looking for it but backpackers are eating it it's yeah it's pretty much impossible to get so 
yeah, I would definitely buy that before. I mean, hopefully even before June, but June at the latest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, whew. all right, man. Well, I think we covered a heck of a lot of terrain in this one. Yeah, definitely. But I think it was really useful that people can, especially coming into this new or brand new, like someone like myself, it might seem a little overwhelming, but it's a good, Mm -hmm. just this hour or hour and a half of time invested listening to this gives them a full picture, a huge overview. And it just lets them know like, what's all the stuff I need to get. And then at the very end, I'm glad we covered what's all the stuff I need to get now. Yep. So they just know, hey, this is, yeah, better get set up for this. And then also, I, I think we did a decent job of saying, like, this is the stuff to spend money on. This is the stuff that, like, you kind of don't need to worry about. Like, put your money where it matters on this stuff. Um, and I'm a big fan of just buying, like I said, buying once and you can just use other things to get you through until they do matter. Uh, yeah. It works every time. So, yeah. So there's a lot of resources on the website for this. The actually, the first module in the Hunt Elk or the module, whatever the series thing is in the Hunt Elk in 2020 series is uh, it's like a gear list, like a checklist. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how important checklists are just so you don't forget stuff. It's really easy. So I've got a giant checklist there for you to make sure you got everything you need. There's this post, which is part eight, which is like the gear you need. Uh, there's a lot more detail on a lot of the things we talked about just because I can write it all down. Um, it's in there. And there's also the gear I use. So I put out everything I've got in case there's areas, you know, this year I'm starting this up. We're just doing a lot of these things. I'm not going to be able to get to every single thing and go through a gear guide and tell guys what's good, what's not. So if they really just want to get a wreck, they can go there and buy it or not buy it, but like just go there and look at what I'm using. And it's probably pretty good because obviously I overthink everything. <laughs> so that's one way to do it. And then, uh, you know, they can feel free to contact me too. Just go to the website, shoot me an email, post, you know, comment on one of these things. It's great. So baxterbowman.com, the same as the podcast, head over, head over there, take a look. Um, as always, really appreciate it if guys like or subscribe. A lot of effort goes into these podcasts, so it's a way of helping us get the word out. But uh, anything else for the people, Josh? You're feeling good. Good. I was just, I'm actually just looking at it right now, baxterbowman.com, the actual blog post called Elk Hunting Gear, what you actually need and when to buy it. It's very comprehensive. So those listening, like, don't worry about memorizing all the stuff, literally bullet pointed out. It's very succinct. And uh, uh, yeah, I would go check out the website and then give us any feedback. Tell us what you like about the podcast, what you don't like, what's annoying, <laughs> what's going really well, what's helpful. And we'd love to hear your stories. Yeah. Yeah. And bear with us. It's going to be a lot of gear talk the next four or five weeks as we, uh, we go through this stuff, but this is, it's good. And it's, uh, like I said, buy once, cry once. If you, if we help you save, save a little money, then we did our job. So super excited about it. There we go. And soon, soon ish, you'll have a YouTube channel up where you'll be able to describe a lot of these things. I know when you like to diagram stuff, when we go over arrows and broadheads and, and whatnot. So that, that should be fun too. Totally. Yeah. That'll all be there, but it'll all come through the website too. So as long as guys are there, they'll, yeah, they'll catch it. Um, and that's it guys. So thanks again for tuning in, Josh, you know what you need to do. Yes, sir. Got a lot of shopping to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It'll be fun. Awesome. We'll we'll be back next week with more.